Father, despite what's happening around the world, despite what's happening in our circumstance and in our position or our place, Father, that we can take a moment just to hear from you, to breathe in your word and know that you love us, you care for us, and you desire for us to have an abundant life. So, Father, we thank you for this, and we pray that the words, the message, the heart of your message to us today will sink deep into our hearts, penetrate our hearts, and change our lives and the lives of others. And we pray this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. So for those of you joining here in the room or if you're joining um, at home, this is a communion service, so we'll get ready for communion in a little while, and you'll be able to uh, take up uh, the communion elements here, or you'll be able to take up the communion elements at home. Just a, a piece of bread or a glass of water is good enough. And if this is the first time you've ever decided or you want to participate in communion, please just relax. It's, nothing, it's not, a, not a big behebie-jeebie thing. It's just a symbol of Jesus' body and blood, and we're going to take you through that experience if it is for your first time. We'd love to journey with you through that. It is a communion service, so make sure that you've got those communion elements ready, piece of bread or a glass of water. We've been journeying through a series entitled Flow. And remember during the flow message, if you're joining us for the first time, that's okay. During the flow message, we said the Holy Spirit is working on us and through us to point us towards Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ has been established in the divine order of things to point us towards having a relationship with the Father. And the relationship with the Father, according to John 17 and verse 3, is if we know Jesus and we know the Father, we will have abundant life. We will have everlasting life. In fact, that scripture says, for this means everlasting life. They're getting to know the only true God and the one whom you sent forth, Jesus Christ. And so when we have a look at that scripture, we understand that if we get to know Jesus, Jesus, we can get to know the Father, and we can have abundant life through Him. And that abundant life is really hinged on what Jesus is all about. And so today, as we have a look at Scripture, you might be joining us for the very first time and thinking to yourself, oh, I'm not too sure about this Jesus character. I'm not too sure about this whole Christian thing. Well, this series, this message is just for you today. It's about understanding, hey, was Jesus really the one that would unlock this abundant life for me. Despite my circumstance, despite all that's going on in my life, what does it mean for me to accept Jesus? And as Christians and people who believe, we use these kinds of terms all the time. We accept Jesus. My favorite one is covered by the blood of Jesus. And we, we think that everybody understands what that means, right? We, we think that, that that makes sense to everybody. Well, let me tell you a secret. It doesn't. And a lot of people don't know what that means. And this series is really going to unpack what it means for Jesus to get to know you and for you to get to know Jesus and what kind of impact you're going to see in your life because of that. The series is called Enough. And one of the things that we don't feel often in our lives is enough. We always feel like we need to be more. We need to get more. We need to attain more to fill a hole or a void in our lives. We wake up in the morning and we think that if we can just do this or if we can just get that done, then I will be enough. I will have enough and I will feel like I have made it. And how many of us know that no matter how hard we try, we sometimes just can't get to that place of enough. It seems like it's a never-ending pit of pouring money, of pouring relationship, of pouring heartache and tears into this pit. And at the end of the day, we go to bed at night and we still don't feel enough. We still feel like we need to have a little bit extra. Well, 
You know, as we spend our lives seeking out life's questions and we, we, we constantly looking for reasons or things to stop that feeling of emptiness, to fill ourselves up, maybe, just maybe, what Jesus taught was the truth. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus knew what he was talking about. There's something special about Jesus' teachings that has ensured that they have stood the test of time. His instructions defied human logic. And over the next few sessions, we're going to have a look and understand, well, did Jesus get it right? Was Jesus all he was cracked up to be? Was he a really divine human being? Or was he just a genius human being? Was he something special? Or was he just a clever guy? And we're going to have a look at what it means for Jesus to participate in our lives and for us to participate in his. This is not a, a case for Christ discussion. This is not a discussion where we're going to have a look and say, well, I want to try and biblically and historically and, and archaeologically show you that Jesus existed. No, this is a discussion which has a look at the teachings of Jesus and sees what kind of response, we'll see what kind of response his teachings will have on our psyche. If his teachings have a good effect on our lives, well then he must have known what he was talking about. If his teachings do not have a good effect on our lives and on our psyche, well then there's something skew with who he was. Because if Jesus was this divine being, if he was this God to earth man, well then surely what he taught would have always brought about good. Surely what he taught would have always given us life and in abundance according to scripture. So if it is true that Jesus is who he says he is, let's have a look at his teachings and see what kind of effect his teachings have on our psyche. I'm not going to be asking you at the end of the series to raise your hand and come into church and every time music plays, get all quivery at the knees and raise your hands in praise and worship. I'm not going to ask you to try and change your vocabulary and say hallelujah 19 times every 22 sentences. No, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you to give his teachings a shot. Give his teachings a try. Live out his teaching on something for just one week and see how it changes your life. If it changes your life for the good, well, then the teacher was probably good. If it doesn't change your life for the good, well, then you can throw Jesus away and you never have to visit this question or this discussion again. You see, we have this desire to have enough, to feel enough. And all I'm asking you today is to take a look at the teachings that you've always been taught to fill up that hole and the teachings of Jesus and compare the results. Because I think for many of us, we've always tried to solve problems ourselves. We've always tried to make ourselves feel enough on our own terms, on our own understanding, on our own ways of doing things. And when we look at it, when we think about it, we, we might be caught in a wheel where really we're not really making any improvement or we're not growing in any way. We always do the same old, same old thing. Somebody said to me the other day, we even get comfortable with a rubbish life. We even get comfortable with being in that wheel because it's what we know. It's not really improving us. It's not giving us life and life in abundance, but it's what we know. So we get stuck in that wheel. And Jesus is saying, well, my teachings will break you out of that wheel and give you something greater, something more. So we're going to put that to the test and see what he said, if it's true or not. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, it really is the theme scripture of, of this series 
the Apostle Paul, now the Apostle Paul was a guy that, that set up a lot of churches. That's why we call him the Apostle Paul. He went out and he set up many churches. He writes in his, one of his writings in one of his books called Hebrews. And if you want to look it up, you can, you can do that in your Bible. It's kind of in the second half of the second half of the Bible. If you open up your Bible to the middle somewhere and hit Matthew, keep going right in your Bible and you'll eventually find a book called Hebrews. But in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1, he says it like this. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to this life, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Now, I don't know about you, but the sense of needing to be more, the sense of needing to have more, the sense of, of, of I'm not good enough sometimes gets on top of you and weighs you down. Have you ever woken up in the morning and felt like you have the entire world on your shoulders and you have to stand up underneath that weight and walk through life with the weight of the world on your shoulders? Maybe a relationship went south. Maybe your finances didn't work out how you planned. Maybe something happened legally to your, to your child or your, or your, or your, your spouse. Maybe, maybe you find yourself living life because you have a loved one incarcerated. Maybe, maybe life has just completely changed on you right there in the middle of the day when you thought it was going well, life in a heartbeat changes on you and, and that weighs you down. Well, this scripture is talking to you. It's saying that, hey, we need to get rid of the weight of needing to try and plan to be enough on our own. It says to us that we need to get rid of, strip off. And then it goes on and it says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Now, for those of you who are joining for me for the first time, whenever we mention that three-letter word, non-Christians and unbelievers and folk who don't really go to church cringe. Here they go again, speaking about sin. Well, in the context of this scripture, this scripture was referring to the first sin. And the first sin resulted in something that we all feel. It's called shame, condemnation, and doubt. And so what it's saying is, let us strip off everything that's going to trip us off and weigh us down. Let us, let us get rid of anything that's going to stop us having from this faith-filled life. And let's get rid of things that trip us off, like condemnation, shame, and doubt. Get rid of that. Get rid of all of that, and you will feel like you can be enough. And then it goes on and says this, let us run with endurance the race God has set before us by keeping our eye on Jesus. That scripture actually says, if you want to live a life where you can run, where you can run free, that scripture is saying that if you want to take all of these things off your shoulders, if you want to live like you don't have any weight on your shoulders, like your cares have been taken care of, like you are enough, that scripture says, we'll focus on Jesus. And so during the course of this series, we're going to focus on what Jesus taught and see if it results in a life where you can run and run free. It's going to see, we're going to see if this is true or not. Now, you might be thinking, well, Craig, I'm not so sure. Because if I start learning the teachings of Christ, I'm going to have to call myself a Christian, right? And when I say the word Christian... <laughs> To many people, that word doesn't bring about the greatest connotations in their mind. If I speak to a Bible-believing Christian and I say, what does the word Christian mean to you? They might say, well, I've been transformed by Christ. But if I speak to somebody who's had a bad experience at church, they might call you an out-of-touch idiot. 
Am I right? Maybe, maybe you at home are responding more than the audience here. But, but maybe when I speak to a real strong believer in Jesus, they, they talk about being Christian as being loving, as being merciful, as being generous, as being helpful, as being benevolent. But when I speak to a non-believer about Christianity, they talk about judgmentalism and narrow-mindedness. You see, the, the term Christian doesn't have all the good connotations. Well, you'll be surprised today that here in this Christian church, we're not asking you to be Christian. We're not asking you to take on a label or a name. No, we're simply asking to give the teachings of Jesus a shot. Doesn't matter what you call yourself after that. You can call yourself whatever you like. But if you would just give Jesus a chance to teach you something that might just give you life and life in abundance. Surely in your situation, in your circumstance, you're willing to try something new. Well, the new thing that you can try is not calling yourself Christian or changing the way you speak. No, it's not even becoming known for your love and your compassion. No, it's not even becoming judgmental or, or hating one another. No, it's simply giving Jesus' teachings an opportunity to change your life. Now, I don't know about you, but it's really easy to judge Christianity. We just have to look around and we can see that Christians fighting against Christians. Man, if you've been a pastor in a church for long enough, you'll know that there's a whole lot of stuff that happens behind the scenes. It's just crazy stuff. It's just, quite frankly, to the non-Christian, non-Christian. It's just that shouldn't be happening. They call themselves a church of love and look at how they backbite and bicker over what chair I sit in. Am I right? And so today, we're going to ask you, please, if you really desire to have a life with Jesus that will change your life and take you from where you are so that you can strip off the concerns that you can put down and you can run, well, then I'm going to ask you not to judge Christ by the Christians. I'm going to ask you to judge his teachings as a teacher, not by his students. Now, I talk about this, and the only thing I can refer this to is, well, in high school, I, I did mathematics and accounting, right? And, and, and everybody accepted in mathematics certain formula. Certain things were written down that made X and Y make sense. Now, in my process, Y was usually with the question I was asking my X. No, you didn't get that. doesn't matter. The, the fact is, is, that, is that X's and Y's didn't make sense to me. And, and surely the formula must be wrong because my answers were always wrong. Surely Pythagoras got it wrong. Surely that, that there's a different way of calculating the length of the hypotenuse. Uh, surely he got it wrong because I never, ever got anything but a whole lot of red markings on my page. In fact, my teacher was able to find more space on my paper to write red than there was paper. But nobody ever questioned Pythagoras. They questioned me. Pythagoras' theory was true when it came to my accounting. Assets equals owner's equity plus liabilities. It's the accounting equation, the double entry system. That all works out. In fact, if you do the formula right, your balance sheet will balance. Mine never did. But apparently, if you did the formula right, well then, it, your balance sheet will balance. No one questioned the accounting equation or Pythagoras' theory. No, he, we, we were questioned. The student was questioned. The student was found wanting, not the teacher. 
And so as we have a look at this process of looking at Jesus, I would ask you to do the same. No one is judging you. No one is going to come along and wag a finger at you. So we'd ask, if possible, as if we're journeying together through this teaching of Jesus, that you don't wag a finger at the students. We are imperfect students just trying to get the formula right, just like you. And we are just working through the formula, trying to get the best possible marks on the paper, just like you, just like me. So I ask you, as we have a look at the teachings of Jesus over the next few weeks, don't judge the teachings of Jesus by the students. We're just trying to get it right, too. Now, if I have a look back at that, that word Christian, the origin of the Christian was actually given, to the, given by the Romans, and they were just getting frustrated with people who were walking around sprouting off the teachings of Jesus. They called them little Christs, little Jesuses. They could just, just, you know, they just will not stop talking about this Jesus guy. They just could not stop talking about him. And so they, they, started, they started talking about the people who taught the words of Jesus as Christians. But you know what? Jesus never asked anybody to be a Christian. He actually called somebody like Matthew, and, and Matthew was one of his close disciples. It was, he was one of the, the, the very few that came to Jesus right at the beginning when Jesus just got going here on the earth. In fact, it, Matthew was, was so early on in Jesus' life that the very first book of the Bible that was written about Jesus was written by Matthew, and Matthew wasn't a good guy. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't perfect. He, he certainly wasn't getting top marks on his mathematics formula uh, or, or his accounting designs when it came to to his life. He, he was downtrodden. He was pushed aside. He, he wasn't very well liked. And Jesus didn't walk up to him and said, I'm going to teach you so much that you'll be able to quote me, little Christian. No, no. He said to Matthew that day when he said, hey, come and, come and be with me. Come be part of what I'm doing. He said, come and be my disciple. And a disciple was somebody that would walk with Jesus, that would learn to live life like that, that teacher, that rabbi is what they called him in Scripture, and they still call him today in the Jewish fraternal. But the Jesus was asking them to say, don't just believe, don't just sprout forth words, don't just say things, because that's just being a little mini Jesus. No, he wanted you to change your life so that you could walk like him, love like him, and implement the teachings he was teaching in your life real time. You see, being a Christian is very easy. I can just say the right scripture. I can quote a few lines. I can sing a praise and worship song, and that can call me a Christian. But Jesus doesn't want you just to be Christian by name. He wants you to be a disciple by deed. He wants you to be walking out, living out the teachings. Why? Because he knows that if you live out the teachings and you live out your beliefs according to what he has taught, you will have a relationship with God the Father. And when you have a relationship with God the Father, you will have eternal and abundant life. That's the reason why he wants you to be a disciple. It would be like somebody on a sinking ship running towards the, the, the life rafts. And they say, well, if you follow me, you will have life. I know where the life rafts are. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was saying, hey, don't just scream that you need a life raft. Don't just scream at the top of your lungs that the boat's sinking. That's just being a Christian. You're going to go to hell if you don't do this. You're going to do that. if you. That's just being a Christian. He's saying, follow me, come with me, walk with me, and you will have life. 
And so when we have a look at it, you know, I sometimes, I, I really suck at my beliefs sometimes. You know, if I was the judgment, if I was the litmus test for people to have a look at Christianity, if they would want to become a Christian, I'd fail. You know, I, I just, what I believe and what I do sometimes are polar opposites. The Apostle Paul, that same guy we were referring to who planted all those churches earlier, he said it like this in Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. He said, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Anybody at home feel like that? We call ourselves Christians. We call ourselves Jesus' disciples. But man, we've got this battle going on that weighs us down and makes us feel like we tripped up all the time. We feel like we're not enough. So whether you're a Christian or not, the sense of needing Jesus to feel like you're enough is important. It's part of our journey. And so don't look at the judge, don't look at the, the student, please look at the teachings of Jesus as we continue this series. Remove the judgment of the Christ by looking at him, not the student. Because I know many of you at home might be looking at Jesus and going, no, no, not, not Jesus. And the only reason you're saying no, no, not Jesus is because you were hurt by a Christian father, somebody that called himself Christian but did the wrong things. You were hurt by a Christian person down the road, a Christian mother, a Christian brother, a Christian friend, somebody who said that they would, they would love you and they would forgive you for something and then they didn't. And so as a result, you're judging Christ on the behavior of the Christian person. Remove that judgment, please, because otherwise... You will never really fill that hole, that void that you might have in your life. I might not be doing it right, but at least I know where my fulfillment comes from. I might not be getting every step of the journey towards the life craft right, but I know that I'm going in the right direction. I'm not going backwards to a sinking ship. I'm going forwards with a rabbi and a teacher that will take me to life. You might be sitting in a situation right now where you have backslidden from being a Christian. You're no longer on fire as a disciple, and you're sitting, and you're just idling, and you're just sitting in your home right now thinking, I can't make any impact. What I want to encourage you, get back to the teachings of Jesus. Jesus, and you will find automatically your life will start moving forward and you will start moving towards life again. And you will not be going backwards to the death and to the pain and to the hurt that this world has to offer. Why? Because you start fulfilling, you start filling up, you start becoming enough in this God whole. Every single human being throughout history, from the Egyptians to the Incas to the Zulus in South Africa, are looking towards something to be a God. Something needs to fill that hole. Something needs to, is it the sun? Is it the wind? Is it the fire? What is it that is God? Every human being throughout history wanted to have a God. And every single human being wanted to see their God so that they could believe in him. Even Thomas went to Jesus, and Thomas was that guy that doubted in Scripture. In fact, you might know him as Doubting Thomas. And in one of the instances where he doubted Jesus, he said, just show us the Father so that we can believe. Jesus was walking right alongside him, and he was still asking Jesus to show him the Father so that he could believe. And when we look at it, every single human being wants God and wants to see God so that we can believe in God. And you know what? God knows that. God knows that you need a God, and quite frankly, that you need to see him to believe in him. He made you, and he made you with that kind of curiosity, 
And if it's needing a God and needing to see a God, God answered your request. And that is why he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus so that the human race could say, I've seen God and I know God exists. That is why Jesus came along. We needed, as, as a human being, we needed something divine to touch our lives to make us know that God existed. We need Jesus to feel the divine in our lives. You're never going to come to God and a relationship with God. You're never going to have a personal relationship with the higher being that you might be following or worshiping or some other God or some other deity unless you have that relationship through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the revelation of God to man so that we would know how much he loves us. And that is why Jesus had to come. He sent Jesus to reveal himself to us, to take us out of that spiraling quest to be enough and simply say, you are enough. You see, he doesn't want us running after answers to questions that he's already answered. And so Jesus' teachings is one of the mechanisms that God is answering those questions in your life. Now, John chapter 14 and verse 6 puts it like this. And John is just after Matthew. If you hit the book of Matthew in your Bible halfway through and just keep going right, you will go two books to the right and you will find the book of John. And John was one of those other men that followed Jesus right from the beginning. And John says it like this. He says, when Jesus was talking to, to John, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Now we understand why no one can understand the Father unless we take a look at Jesus. No one can understand that God whole that is in your life unless you look to Jesus because God sent Jesus so that we could see and believe. And because we can see and believe, we will shed off the weight that's on our shoulders. We will not be tripped up by life and we will have life and life in abundance. That scripture says that you will have life and truth in your life. And as we begin to understand that we desperately need the divine. We desperately need the divine in our lives. When we do it on our own, we trip up and we become weighed down. Am I the only sinner in the world that feels like that? When I try and do it on my own accord, right now my, my wife and I are going through some decisions as regards property and, and where we should buy or whether we should build and, and we're going through all the different plans and all the different things and should we go with a lighter top on the counter or a darker top on the counter? Should we put the bathroom here or should we put the bathroom there? And it's a big decision process and there's a lot of turmoil and if you ever tell your wife that she's chosen the wrong color to paint the wall, you're not living in truth and in life. You are living in darkness and deceit because you are going to feel the wrath of, yeah, let's not go there. The fact remains is that you, you're going to have a look at it and you're going to start trying to make decisions on your own and you're going to run into difficulty. You're going to run into disunity. You're going to start feeling weighed down. Even last night, my wife was saying to me, is this really the right decision? It seems so heavy, all these decisions that we have to make. And when we make important life decisions, if we make them on our own, you will find that that hole does not get filled. And so we need some divine to touch us, to make us feel enough so that we can make the right decisions that, according to that scripture, will give us truth and life. Now, sometimes when we have a look at Jesus' teachings, they are about as confusing as the theory of Pythagoras. Sometimes we'll look at his, his teachings and we'll go, huh? 
How can you ask me to do that? Love my enemies? If I want to be the best, if I want to be number one, I have to be a servant? How does that work? In the corporate ladder I'm climbing, I can't be the servant. I need to be the boss. You see, the very fact that your heart, when it reads Jesus' teachings for the first time, goes, huh? Shows that his teachings aren't of this world. They will not make sense to a humanistic type person. They will not make sense to a self-oriented person. No, they will only make sense in the divine. And aren't we looking for the divine? Aren't we seeking the divine? So Jesus' teachings by its very nature is asking us to look up from our humanistic situation up to a higher power, up to a divine source that's going to teach us about having a divine life. And when we do that, when we are able to say, well, okay, I've been doing it my way. I've been loving the people that love me and hating the people that hate me. Well, how's it working for you? You see, we, we, need, we need to understand that when we start adopting Jesus' teachings and we start walking them out, there's going to be some pain of change. There's gonna be have, you're going to have to have a look at changing the way you think. You're going to have to weigh, weigh up and say, well, I've been doing it this way. The divine way might be a little confusing. In fact, like my textbooks, the divine may, way might look like it comes from another world. Well, it does. That's the point. The point is, if we keep doing it the world's way, we're always going to have the world's results. But if we start changing our life toward doing it the divine way, we need to look to Jesus' divine teachings, the divine formulas that he gave us. And when he said things like, forgive those who injure you. Whoever wants to be first must be slave to all. When he said things like in Matthew chapter 6, 33, that same book, that very first book written by Matthew that he called his disciple, he wrote a book there. And in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, he said, keep on seeking first the kingdom and all these other things will be added to you. When he starts speaking divine uh, understandings and divine instruction, like blessed are the persecuted for those who do right. When he starts speaking things that don't make sense in the human, listen. Because he's talking about divine instruction that will give you a divine life. Even people who don't believe in Jesus have begun to see the wisdom in Jesus' description and in Jesus' teachings. Mahatma Gandhi turned one day and said, If everybody on the face of the planet lived according to the Sermon of the Mount, the world would be a better place. You see, even Mahatma Gandhi knew that Jesus' teachings were divine and they were divine in nature and divine in consequence. His formula will always ensure that your life equals abundant. Does that make sense? And so whatever we are today, we need to understand principles and guidelines like the word forgiveness. You see, when we, when we, when we look at that teaching, the very nature of Jesus was all about forgiveness. So if we have a look today, and we're going to close on this, the, the very, very first teaching that Jesus came to give us, the very, very first divine change that he needed you to make, revolved around forgiveness. 
We think that we're not good enough to be forgiven. We think that we're not good enough. We've done so much wrong that we have diminished ourselves so much from having a relationship with life that we are not qualified to have a life of enough. We are only qualified to have a life of abuse, of difficulty, and of hardship. That's the only qualification we are good enough to have. Well, Jesus came along and said, you are good enough. I am going to show you by spilling my blood, by dying for this teaching, that you are forgiven. Jesus so believed in your forgiveness that he was willing to die to prove the point. He was so divine in his orientation that he knew that if he could help you be and understand that you are good enough to be forgiven, your life would change. But what do we do? We don't take on the divine teaching of forgiveness. No, we take on the humanistic teaching that says, I have got to protect. I have got to defend. I have got to harbor resentment. I have got to be bitter towards those who are bitter towards me. Well, how is that working? Because the, the, the fruit of that kind of life must be bitterness, hurtfulness, and hatred. And you might be walking around going, I don't feel the forgiveness of God. That's because you're not living the forgiveness to others. You see, the scriptures are very clear on this in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, 14 to 15, that same book, that same disciple that Jesus were called first was, was Matthew. And it says, if you forgive other people, then God can forgive you. That's not saying that God's forgiveness is conditional. No, if you walk in the teaching of forgiveness, this divine teaching of forgiveness, and you forgive others, you will understand the forgiveness that comes from the divine. You will get it. When I look at back in my life and I understand that, man, I caused a lot of people a lot of hurt before I understood this principle of forgiveness, and it was because they were able to forgive me that I could feel the forgiveness of God. You see, if it wasn't for them walking the divine teachings of the Christ out practically, I never would have met the divine teachings of the Christ. You see, the scripture is compelling you to say, you know what? Go out, live a life of forgiveness. Forgive others as you have been forgiven. You will be enough. You can't live a bitter life and expect to encounter a forgiving God. You can't live an unforgiving life and expect to meet a merciful father. So if you're complaining right now that God is belligerent, that he's angry, that he's judgmental, that he's always bringing down the hammer, well, maybe you should look at what teachings you've been following because you're only going to experience God through the life that you're leading. And if you would like to experience a God where you feel enough, where you feel accepted, where you feel completely received and forgiven, it's time for you to start living the teachings of forgiveness, the divine teachings of forgiveness that Jesus laid down for us. If you could just start listening to those teachings of forgiveness, just number one, and we've got a whole lot of sessions to go through, the principles, I'm just using forgiveness as an example of this divine life brings, the divine teachings bring divine life principle. Come on, you know this. You know that it's better to forgive. You don't have to be a Christian to know that when you forgive something, there's a peace that's released inside your soul. You don't have to be a, a big Christian to know that if I forgive, I'm going to be the one that actually benefits. I, I think you know that already. You don't have to be a big Bible basher to know that forgiveness is a good thing. It goes against everything we know as a human, but when we do it, good happens. Well, it's surprising because Jesus taught that many thousands of years ago before you and I worked it out. 
That's because he was a divine teacher, knowing that this could lead to divine benefit. And so as we have a look at teachings like that, we know that Jesus didn't just sprout them forth like a goody two-shoes Christian. Jesus walked out his teachings. He never, ever talked and didn't walk. He always proved by his actions that these divine teachings were applicable to modern life. He always showed back then that you can forgive your enemies. When he was strung up on the cross in the story in Luke chapter 23, when he was strung up on the cross and dying, and to his left was a criminal, and to his right was a criminal, and to all intents and purposes, he was the criminal. And he was strung up on that cross. He looked up and he said, forgive them, Father. They do not know what they do. He walked it out to death to prove that forgiveness wins. He wanted to show you, please, listen to my teachings. Don't judge the criminal on the right or the criminal on the left. Don't judge the student. Just listen to my teachings because if you listen to the divine teachings of Jesus, you begin to understand the divine application of a father that forgives you and that loves you and you will begin to express this wonder of a divine and marvelous life. Divine formulas work. Just as true as the theory of Pythagoras works, the theory of forgiveness works. It comes from a divine teacher. And today, as an example, I would implore you, begin walking and learning the divine principle given to us by Jesus that's called forgiveness. But how do I forgive like Jesus forgives? If I'm supposed to walk this out, I want to be a disciple. I don't want to just be someone that says, oh, I forgive you. And then I walk around the corner and I speak badly of you. I want to be somebody that genuinely forgives like Jesus can forgive. Ask yourself the question, am I able to imagine myself up on the cross forgiving people who put me there? You see, Jesus said to us that if you want to walk out forgiveness, if you want to walk out this divine teaching of forgiveness, this divine formula of forgiveness, well then you need to do two things. The first is pray for those who hurt you. That's the first thing you want to do. If you want to start walking out as a disciple, somebody that is good and acceptable, walking in this divine teaching of forgiveness, well then, according to Luke 6, 23, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray for them. Now you might say, Craig, I've never prayed a prayer in my life. Well, you can pray for them by simply not speaking badly of them, but speaking well of them. That's just as good as a prayer. Bless them, don't curse them. Matthew 5, 43 to 44 says, Have you not heard that it is said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy? That's what the world will tell you to do. And then it goes on to say, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you or injure you or persecute you. So number one, start speaking well of them. If you're a Christian, pray for them. If you're not a Christian, just start speaking well of them, not cursing them. And secondly, he says, if you want to walk out this divine process of forgiveness, well then forgive genuinely as you have been forgiven. Number two, forgive as you have been forgiven. Now, here's the deal. You will not be able to forgive unless you realize that you have been forgiven. If you're walking in a state of pride, thinking that you've got your life together and everything is honky-dory and everything's okay and you are your God, if you're walking life through life and you think that you've set up all these good things in your life, that you are everything, 
pride comes before a crash. And you will start to feel the wrath of this world, not the wrath of God, the wrath of this world in your life. Eventually, it will catch up with you. You see, because you don't have a God-filled hole, you still feel like you're not enough, so you're striving to do it on your own. No, you need to sit back and understand that you have been forgiven. What does it mean to be forgiven by God? If I can't forgive others unless I've been forgiven by God, what does it mean to be forgiven by God? This is a Christian term that many people think, oh, forgiveness, it's a divine thing and it's given to some and not to others and God judges you. And Well, you know what? Forgiveness simply means to give before. Scripture says that while you were still questioning whether God exists, He made you right with Him. While you were yet a sinner, He loved you. He gave his love before forgiveness, before you gave it to him. So it's okay. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, he has given you forgiveness before you even believe in him. It's forgiveness. It's before you respond, God has already given it to you. If you can breathe in life, if you can breathe in air and you can have a life, that shows that God has given you a life before you give your life to him. He doesn't lie in bed at night wondering if you exist. He knows you exist. He doesn't wonder, should I love him? Should I believe in that person? Should I believe that they no, he believes the very best for you all the time, whether you believe in him or not. That is divine forgiveness. You see, we have a rule that says, if this person does X, Y, and Z, then I will forgive them. That's humanistic forgiveness. That's not divine forgiveness. Divine forgiveness is we forgive before that person even knows that they've offended us. That's how we walk in divine teachings of Jesus. Forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgives. And that's the scripture that you will find in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 13. You see, Jesus died in conclusion. He died to make this point. He wants you to know he's serious about you accepting the divine teachings, the divine formula. He wants you to get it right. He wants you to have an abundant life. He says in Romans, it's spoken of him in Romans chapter 5, verse 7 to 9. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person. Some might die for a good person. Some might die for someone who loves them, who does well to them. But nobody's just willing to die for somebody who calls themselves upright. Am I right? That scripture's right. It, it makes sense. And then it goes on and says this, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ Jesus to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, God reached out before we responded, before we accepted divine teachings, and He forgave us. And since we've been made right with God, we have done nothing. God's made us right with Him. The Scripture says, since we've been made right with God, then we are now in line with Him. We have been, we've been, been made right by Jesus dying for us. He died to make a point. He died to prove a point, and since he's done that, he's shown that divine forgiveness is possible. Now, we can be seated in a good relationship with the Father. That's what the Scripture says. And you see, 
when we look at this process that Jesus came not just to symbolically shed his blood and die. No, he came to prove beyond all reasonable doubt that divine formulas will give you life and life in abundance. But Jesus died, you might say. Yes, but he was resurrected on the third day and raised to the right hand of God in supreme, supreme glory, supreme honor, because he knew that the death would not end his divine life because he would not give up the divine principles and as a result, reaped, rewarded, was given a divine, incredible, eternal seat at the right hand of God the Father himself. He will make you enough. He will make you enough. He will turn your life around if you give him a chance. He will build. You are not hurting and angry because of Jesus or because of God. No, you are hurting and are angry because of a world that desperately needs the divine formulas to be applied. You are hurting because other people didn't understand the divine formulas. You can change the trajectory of your life and of your generations that will come from your life if you start understanding that you don't have to accept Jesus to start walking his teachings and watch your life change. Eventually, you will be able to look heavenward and go, I get you, Jesus. I understand you, Jesus, because I know that you want a divine life for me. Let's pray together before we go and do communion. Father, we thank you that you are an incredible God, that you are a God that while we were still questioning you, while we were still finding theories like evolution to, to understand you, you loved us. You forgave us. You gave before we responded. You want to have abundant life with us eternally. Thank you for sending Jesus to teach us about you. Thank you for sending Jesus to give us divine formula that we can apply to have a divine life. Father, we thank you and we know that you are an incredible God for loving us while we were still sinners. Thank you for making us enough. And we pray this now in Jesus' name.